Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of All Things Marketing and Education. I am Ilana Leone. I'm the CEO of Leone Consulting Group. And today I am talking to educator Steven Anderson about an upcoming EdTech conference, which is one of my favorites, called ISTE. That's I-S-T-E. A lot of times people call it ITSE, so don't do that. <laughs> but ISTE. So whether you're planning on attending ISTE or not, We'll be talking about really helpful things that any educator or ed tech brand can do about any upcoming conference. So stay tuned. Um, I have a guest here that's been on all spectrums of education as an educator an education admin and the wonderful world of ed tech. So I'm really excited to get his perspective on all of those three aspects of coming to a conference because they're dramatically different. Um, I am talking to Steven. So I'm going to talk about Steven really quickly. And as you know, I tend to gush about my friends and people that are on this show, because one, they're so humble that they never talk about themselves. And two, it gives me a chance to kind of reminisce. But with Steven and I, I've known him for over 10 years. We've seen each other at education conferences and events. I can't even count how many Twitter chats we've been a part of together and talked online together before we met in person. Um, I've personally collaborated with Steven at Edutopia. I don't know if you remember that guide a long time ago that we did for Facebook. We did the social media policies guide. <laughs> um, we did a pop-up ed camp at ASCD and that went over <laughs> medium, medium well. And I've even traveled with Steven to far off places. We traveled to Qatar, um, Doha to attend the WISE um, education Summit and report on education there. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about Stephen. He can introduce himself and then we'll get started. So Stephen is known as Web2OClassroom on Twitter. And so go ahead and follow him on Twitter. That's Web2OClassroom. And he's one of the original founders of EdChat. So EdChat is a live chat that happens every Tuesday. And I think it's still twice Tuesdays, right? Yeah. Uh, just uh, just 7 p.m. Eastern, just one just, time now. Just 7 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you attend it live. You get to collaborate with really people, passionate people all around the globe talking about education in live time, which is really cool. Um, Stephen is an author. He's a speaker. He's a blogger. He's basically all things passionate about K-12 education. He's up in the middle of it. Stephen was a former teacher. He's also been a director of instructional technology. And I specifically, again, wanted to talk to Stephen because there's not many people that have gone through the gamut of the world of ed tech um, and started from being a classroom teacher. So welcome, Stephen. I'm excited to talk about conferences and ISTE and all of those things with you. Um, is there anything you want to add about yourself to the audience? I, you know, I, I don't know. that Whoever that person is, it sounds pretty cool. 
Um, no, I, it, it's, it's really a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to, to be able to talk to you. I, I've, it's been, it's been a very long time and, you know, unfortunately pandemics and things like that keep us apart, but I'm glad that we have these opportunities to, to have a chat. I know every time I see you, I feel like your beard is getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> it is getting longer. My hair, my hair is getting longer too. And I, I just, that's like, I've let it all go, I guess. Well, thank you for joining. Um, let's just get into it. Let's get into the conferences. Um, this is kind of where, I mean, I know I definitely met you in person for the first time at conferences. And since then, we've always kind of ran into each other at conferences. Um, why don't you tell the audience without intimidating them too much, like how, how, how many conferences do you typically go to? Um, how many ISTEs have you been to? What types of conferences? I know it's a lot. And then maybe we can get into just from your vantage point as a teacher, as an administrator, and now in ed tech, how do you begin to choose what conferences you go to? So number of, number of ISTEs, I think this is number 11, I think. It might be more than that. Um, but I think it's 11, um, number of conferences a year is a lot. Um, I'm in the neighborhood of at least 30 to 40, but those run the gamut of all different types and not just ed tech. Some of them are just general education. Some of them are school safety. Some of them are school communications. Uh, there's a lot of them. And I, I have been on all different sides. My first, my, the first conference I ever went to was an ASCD conference in San Francisco. And um, I had a friend tell me that I should put in a conference related to technology because no one was doing technology at that conference. And it was like a guarantee to, to be able to present. And so my very first ever conference, I not only attended, but presented. Wow. Um, and it was, it, it was, it was an experience um, to be able to to be able to do that. And then since then, you know, I've been all over all over the world to conferences like they, like you mentioned, the WISE conference. I've done that um, six times. I've done conferences in Denmark and France and um, in uh, Dubai and just all over the place um, to have that opportunity, both as a as a just an attendee, um, but as a, a speaker as well. And, you know, it, it is a different perspective each time. So, for, you know, from the classroom, trying to look at, you know, what can I go in to see that I can take back to my classroom? And from, a, uh, from a, an administrative point of view, what are people talking about that then uh, I can introduce to my district or introduce to all of my teachers? And then from the, the kind of the business side of things, what are, what are we seeing that people are gravitating towards to want to implement or what are those trends or are those things that people think are trends really viable in the classroom? So I've had, I've had a lot of those opportunities, especially here lately to kind of think about, you know, what does the future hold? And we were, it's interesting because we were on this path of, of ed tech and we were moving in this direction. And then all of a sudden March, 2020 hit and it seemed like there was this collective gasp of, oh my gosh, now what do we do? And how do we ensure that we, we keep kids and, you know, learning and we're going to have to do it from home and do it remote. And the unfortunate thing is people like me and, you know, several people that, you know, you may, you probably have even talked to have been preaching about this need to inject 
you know, a better understanding of the, not only the types of technology that we use in the classroom, but the way that we use technology. I'm very heavily focused on pedagogy and, uh, and especially when it comes to technology. And, um, you know, we've been talking about this for years and years and years. And now I got, I couldn't, my phone was blowing up from, um, from folks saying, you got to help us, you got to help us, you got to help us. And, uh, you know, it, it, it has been, it's an interesting shift. We're kind of, it kind of set us back, I think, a little bit. Um, there is some movement forward, but I think it, it kind of ultimately set us back. But in terms of conferences, it's been interesting. My first in part, my first in-person conference was this year at FETC in Florida. Which, if you've not been to FETC, it's kind, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of ISTE Junior, um, but uh, but you know another large-scale conference and. Um, it was it was interesting to see some of the things that folks were presenting and um, some of the conversations that were had that were, um, you know, it, there was a lot of, you know, learning. How do we set up the classroom for the next pandemic? How do we, you know, how do we continue remote learning if we have to? And those were those are shifts in conversation, but the nature of what they're talking about hasn't really changed. Um, and it, it it's really fast. It's going to be really fascinating to see the change at ISTE because, you know, they, have, they haven't had an in-person ISTE since 2019. And um, even ASCD this year, which I, I unfortunately couldn't go to, was the first time it was in person. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what people are presenting and what is the reception to what people are presenting. Yeah, the interesting thing about conferences is that by the time people get accepted on what they proposed, sometimes, especially the way the world is moving now, pandemic, post-pandemic, endemic, um, all of the different shifts right now, whatever you proposed and got accepted may or may not be appropriate for right now. So I think that's always the rub for all the conferences. So I'm wondering how people can kind of pivot it a little bit to make it more applicable? Or like you said, what are the trends? Like, are we truly moving forward? Or are we kind of somewhat going backwards into the buzzword catchphrase type of sessions? You know, I'd be really curious. Yeah, I, I think that the the whole buzzword type session that will never die and never go away. But I wish it would. Um, we, we have a tendency in education to kind of latch on to what the rest of the world is doing because there's money to be made. I mean, ed tech is like, you know, it, it's a billion, more than a billion dollars, three billion, ten billion, whatever. It's billions of dollars of, the, of an industry um, if you look at it all combined. And so there's money to be made. Um, and there are people in this space who are considered influencers who latch on to those and they, you know, garner a lot of trust from what they've done in the past or who they are or whatever, and use it as a platform and an opportunity to, you know, promote themselves, which I, 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 I am not a fan of, um, you know, I pick and choose the kinds of things that I, that, that I look at or that I tell people, Hey, this is something you should look at very carefully. But, um, I, you know, buzzword, if I, if I see one more person on Twitter or somewhere else tweet that NFTs are the next big thing in education. Yeah. It's the next big scam in education, you know, and I have, I've got strong feelings about that as well, <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I don't ever, when I, I, I evaluate a lot of sessions for, for conferences and, and I won't, I won't say which ones, but I, I do, I, I am not one of these people who buys into, um, you know, 50 tools in 20 minutes or a thousand tools in an hour, because 
to me, what doesn't change, regardless of situation, regardless of money or place or, um, you know, what's happening in the world around us, with whether it's a pandemic or whatever it is, what doesn't change is pedagogy. The way that we teach does not change. And there are research proven methods uh, that technology can enhance that we need to be aware of and be utilizing in our classroom. It's not about the tool because everybody's screaming about Twitter this week. Oh, Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Well, you know what? If Twitter tanks, Twitter tanks. It's, it, it's not the end all be all that, you know, that we have made it out to be. Has it, has it provided a lot of opportunities for people like me or people like, you know, who are listening to connect to, you know, a, a wider community of educators? Definitely. Are there other tools out there that do that? Definitely. Um, it's not, you know, it's not the one thing. And so when we, when we, when we hitch, when we hitch our wagon to that one thing and then suddenly it goes away, um, you know, we, we have a tendency to freak out about it. It, it, it. There may be people on this call who don't remember things like Glogster. You know, I was around when Glogster was the thing. And all Glogster was was an online poster maker that you could put some videos in. And now I could rattle off 50 tools that do the same thing. But when Glogster went from a free model to paid, people lost it. Um, what do you mean I have to pay $3 a month? What do you mean I have to pay $10 a month? Well, you know, technology unpaid is not sustainable. Free services are not sustainable. They have, there has to be income coming in. Yeah, yeah, there are, we use Facebook and we use Twitter, but what do we, what do they also have? They have ads. Well, we all know the problem with that. So, um, I doubt there are people who remember Google Wave. Everybody thought Google Wave was the next big thing. I did not. And, uh, and so, like, I, Google, Google got with Tom, with, uh, Tom Whitby, uh, and I, who we, you know, hit, we helped create EdChat to give away invites to Google Wave. And I mean, we had people coming from out from underneath every corner of the globe trying to get an invite to Google Wave. We had, there is even somebody who created like an Ed Chat Wave, yeah. um, thinking yeah. that was going to be, Someone that was going to be the next thing. So, you know, what I look when I when I when we think about conferences and we think about, you know, what is it we we want to present? I always tell people present what you're passionate about. So if you're if you it's just like in the classroom, if kids pick up on your passion for what you're teaching, they're going to be engaged more. They're going to retain more and they're going to be more likely to want to uh, to continue that learning. And the other thing is don't focus on something specific like a tool because you never know. What if that tool goes away tomorrow? What if that, that tool suddenly becomes unviable because they make some huge UI or platform change? Um, don't rely specifically on a set of tools. Um, rely on the pedagogy around that tool. How is it that you know, there, so Flipgrid, Flipgrid is a great example. I love Flipgrid. Um, and people were scared when Microsoft bought Flipgrid that it was going to change and it was going to, to, uh, it was going to, you know, go away or what, or what have you. Um, you know, th thankfully it, it has only improved, but what I, what the, the Flipgrid sessions I enjoy, I enjoy going to are the, are the innovative ways that people are using that tool in order to enhance learning in their classroom, not the, um, you know, here are the 40 things that I do with Flipgrid in my classroom. What's that one thing that has mm -hmm. had a lot of impact and tie it back to, to pedagogy and not just pedagogy, but tie it back to research. So those are, you know, the, pedagogy stands the test of time. You know, the way that we teach now hasn't really changed and that's okay, provided 
we're, we're utilizing technology in a way that enhances that pedagogy that takes it to a next level. That's also backed by research that we're using those research proven methodologies. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people knock in our in the just the education general community that are research proven to work the lecture style has a very high student retention rate but if you're doing it all the time it probably doesn't so it's understanding it's not only understanding the research but then understanding the pedagogy or the isn't understanding the pedagogy but then understanding the research behind it that mm -hmm. stuff stands the test of time when you go to con when you're presenting at a conference so if I'm going to a conference as an educator and I'm going to ISTE and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of chatter um, on Facebook and Twitter and there's a lot of, of ISTE newbies, but then there's a lot of veterans too. But even veterans are like, I don't know what this ISTE is going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you maybe take away the anxiety? I mean, they have anxiety in a fun, excited way, but it's intimidating. Like where would you recommend they get started? What has been proven to be like, whatever you do, go here because you can't go wrong. Is there any of those places for you at ISTE from the educator standpoint where you just go in and go, gosh, that's great learning? It, it, so ISTE is an incredible conference and there's a, there's a lot of reasons for it. There's a lot of people from all over the globe. So you you can connect with people, not just from you know, your state and from your, you know, your ISTE affiliate, which, you know, we can, we can, we can talk about ISTE affiliates and how beneficial those can be. But also there are people from around the world who, who come to that conference, who you can connect with. And it's important for us to look beyond ourselves because there are good things happening in other parts of the world and other classrooms in other parts of the world that we can learn from. Um, but, it, you know, if you had asked me this question back in 20, back in like 2019, before that conference, I would have said, you know, whoa, get ready because there's going to be 25,000 people there. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, usually what ISTE pulls, ISTE pulls 20 to 25,000 people with um, attendees and vendors uh, and, the, you know, miles long vendor floor. It can be a very, very, you walk in there and see just massive amounts of people and just be like, oh my gosh, where, what do I do? This year, it, it's hard to predict. It, we, you know, I thought FETC was going to be just cram packed full of people. And it, there were a lot of people there, but it didn't feel like there were a lot of people there. And so it felt like there was a lot more opportunity to breathe and to, to kind of explore and, and to move around and, and look at things. But from a, from an educator standpoint, I think, you have to go into the conference um, knowing that you're, A, not ever going to be able to see or do everything you want to. Um, if you are, if you sit down with your little program and you say, I'm going to go to this session, I'm going to go to this session, I'm going to go to this session, you're going to burn yourself out the first day. Because I, from, from what I, if it's set up the same way, they're going to do it the same way this year. You know, you could have, I don't know, eight, eight sessions in a day. And that's a lot of sitting and that's a lot of, of just brain power to try to, to, uh, to try and absorb all of that information. Um, I would always tell my teachers that we would send to ISTE every year when I was with the district, I would do a max three to four sessions a day because you need to give your, you know, do two in the morning and do two in the afternoon. You need to give yourself that time, that break, just like we do with kids. It's the same sort of learning. Yeah, we have a longer ability to sit there and be able to uh, to consume that information, but you still, you've got your limit too. And so take that break and take that opportunity. So go into it realizing there are going to be some things that you miss, but that's why being able to hook into things like the, the ISTE hashtag where 
people, you know, will go to a session and they will take virtual notes and they'll post them. And then, you know, that was a session that you may have wanted to attend and, um, and didn't get the opportunity to. Um, also go into it knowing that you're probably going to get to a space on your schedule where you've got four sessions that you need to attend all at the same time. How are you going to be in the same place all at the same time? Don't be afraid to reach out to the people who are doing those sessions, either through uh, either through you know, Twitter or social media or wherever it is to say, hey, I could not attend your session. I cannot tell you how many people have said to me after a conference or after a session, I wanted to come to your session, but I just couldn't because I was doing this or I had to go here. Um, can you send me, can you send me your deck happily? Here you go. Here's everything that I did. If you need a, if you need anything, let me know and I'll schedule a call and we'll, you know, we can talk about it. Um, don't be, don't be afraid to, to reach out, especially to people who, uh, you know, who you, who you may consider like edu famous or Twitter, Twitterati or whatever the buzzword <laughs> term for that is. You know, these are, they're, they, they're, they, we're, I, I, I am not a celebrity. I am not, I am an educator who has a passion for ensuring that every kid everywhere has the opportunity to learn and grow. I'm just like everybody else. And so it's, it's, I may look intimidating because I have a mild long beard, but I, you know, I, I want to, my goal in life is to help as many, as many folks as I can. Don't be afraid to reach out to your favorite, you know, your favorite person that you chat with or, um, or that you, uh, that you tweet with. And then I think the last thing is um, using the, I, this is something I learned very early on going to conferences and that you may hear people joke about, but it's the rule of two feet. If you go to a session and the description, this is my, my biggest pet peeve with sessions is that you write this description and then you get in there and the presenter wrote the description in a way that it would get accepted, but now they want to present, they want to present something completely different. Um, that is a big pet peeve for me. So use the rule of two feet. If your needs are not being met as a learner, leave, go to another session. Um, you know, realize that, that not everybody writes their, their descriptions um, accurately or in a way that, uh, you know, uh, completely depicts what they're going to do. So don't be afraid to use those two feet to go and, uh, you know, use it as a time to break or go to another session that you, you wanted to because you had two at the same time. So those would be the, the kinds of things that I would look at. But the, the biggest thing is to realize that it's going to be overwhelming, especially if it's your first one. It's going to be, it's not like, you know, your local school conference where you've got, you know, six or seven rooms to choose from. There are hundreds of sessions to choose from and you will not be able to see all of them and you will be overwhelmed and that's okay. Um, use it as an opportunity to say to yourself, this is what I want to, this is the, this is what I need for next year based on who I am as a teacher or what my kids need, or the, this is the thing that I want to improve and then build your, build what you're going to do, your scheduling and who you want to talk to based on that don't don't just try to go in there and you know hope and pray that you get to do everything because you know even as someone who's been to you know dozens i never get to do everything i want to and and taking that break and time away is, is important as well yeah gosh so much to unpack there i would say that one thing you said around you know think about what you want to do next year also think about people you want to bring mm -hmm. so as people 
continue to go to ISTE and other ed tech conferences, they say, gosh, you know, my colleague would be really good because there's this whole track on social and emotional learning. And then there's this other track about um, school communication that my administrator really wants to attend. So they start building their cadre of people. And I see that. I see people walking in with their districts and stuff. And that's really cool to see. I think just to sum up all the goodness you said, and I'm going to have a hard time because you went fast. Um, you are an educator trying to figure out where you want to go, use the hashtag. And when he says hashtag, that's mostly Twitter, but you can also follow people on Instagram. I'm sure there'll be some TikTokers. Look at the ISTE hashtag. Make sure you're using the right one. So it's probably going to be hashtag ISTE 2022, but sometimes people use hashtag ISTE 2022. Um, so use them all. But that's how I follow the conference. And that's how I determine what sessions to go to. If I see people talking, I'm like, gosh, that sounds exciting. That really sounds like stuff I want to learn. So sometimes I'm just sitting at the bloggers cafe talking to people. And I do recommend that downtime that he was talking about really make sure that you're, you're available to meet people. Because when Stephen was saying there's people from all around the world, that's an amazing opportunity to meet people that you would never meet. So I sit, I, I plant in the bloggers cafe or the PLN lounge, and there'll be little areas that people are just made for networking sit there, get on the hashtags, go to not as many sessions, because I've tried to do that back in the early days, and it burns you out. Um, make sure you're doing socials afterwards as well, meeting people and just relaxing and having fun. I learn in a more informal way. So think about how you learn. Do you learn in sessions? Or do you learn just kind of saying, hey, how did you do that? Um, that looks cool. More often than not, those presenters will actually be at lounges. You can go up to people like Steven and say, hey, you did something cool. Do you mind showing me? Um, I'm, a personal, I'm a person that gets a little intimidated, but I loved when Steven said, hey, go up to anybody. They would be more than happy to give you the slides. So that, that is your permission <laughs> if you are shy like me of like, I don't want to bother people. They're all busy. There's people around them, whatever it may be. So um, the rule of two feet, EdCamp rule is so important. You own your learning. I know that that's not true sometimes where people are giving you professional development, but this time is for you. Whatever conference you're at, it is not rude for you to get up and go to another session. Um, it's just your learning needs are not being met. So I, th I think I covered them all, Stephen, but um, mm -hmm. Those are all really good tips. Um, from an ed tech perspective, now we're switching gears. We're in the, in the world of the expo hall. And for you educators, the expo hall, you could spend your entire time in the expo hall and, and learn a ton. The transition of the expo hall to be learning centers where educators are doing pre presentations all the time is so amazing. I learned so much from the expo hall just alone too. But from the ed tech perspective, Stephen, how how do you make the most of a big conference? Especially if the, I know that's a big question and people spend an hour on this topic alone, but what are some things you have done to really engage users, to engage customers? And what are like maybe the missteps you see ed tech brands not doing when you're like, oh, kind of don't do that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the vendor floor at any large-scale national conference like that is, it, it, it can be very overwhelming. I, I just, I came back not too long ago from a conference, not a, it was not an education conference, but the vendor floor was literally a mile and a half long um, at the, one of the um, 
convention centers in uh, in Orlando. Um, and there were probably 2,500 vendors there. I mean, we're talking in huge, huge spaces. But, um, you know, it, it's I've seen every any kind of conceivable way to get somebody to stop in a booth that you can imagine over the course of the years. And even I, I for a time, worked for Promethean. And the, the year that we launched Classflow, which maybe, you know, some folks may be familiar with, um, that they um, we had a two-story booth, and on one side was a was a place to demo. On one side, on the bottom was one was a where we would could demo. So we had a bunch of boards and everything. And on the other side, we had a fully replicated version of Ron Clark's classroom that he brought his students to, so that you could stand there and watch Ron Clark teach, which normally you know not too many people get the opportunity to do um, every year. So. Um, we've, I've seen people use drums. I've seen the, there was one ISTE where they had people who were like head to toe in like green spandex running around. Um, that was interesting. You know, there are all kinds of, of ways that, um, that vendors use to try and draw people in. I think the ones that are most effective are the ones that really create a personal connection with the person who's there. And it's not just the little tchotchkes or things that they give out. You know, don't get me wrong. I got two daughters. I have a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old. And they love when I bring them back T-shirts and stuff like that. And those things, they're fun and it draws people in and whatnot. But, you know, what what really matters is the, the personal connection of why is this person stopping? And, you know, and, and I've worked for vendors and, um, have gone to conferences to to represent vendors. And, you know, I, I know that if someone's going to stop at my booth, it's because they want to be there. Um, I, I am of the opinion that if, um, if, if someone is walking by and they are not interested, if they are just walking by, you know, it's not, I shouldn't, you know, I, I'm not going to bother them because I want the people to come to my booth who are interested in what we're doing are interested in what we have to provide. And, you know, and I, I don't work on sales. And so I don't, you know, I don't have a sales background and I understand that, you know, those things are important, but I want to talk to the people who want to be there, who, who, who I can make a connection with. And so, you know, bringing folks in and, and, you know, what we, what I don't see enough in the ed tech industry is thought leadership. Um, I don't see enough of these high profile, you know, vendor names that if we were to rattle off between the two of us, you know, 10 or 20 of them, um, not doing enough in the thought leadership space. You know, if you're a leader in, you know, school, you know, uh, school communication, what are you doing in order to help push that forward to be a, not only just a sales leader in that space, but also a, um, a, a person, you know, an entity that brings in knowledge from outside to promote uh, to, to promote, you know, better school home communications, or, you know, if you're in, you know, the, uh, the, you know, whatever space it is bringing in outside, you know, outside folks to, to, to make that connection. I also like the opportunity to do, I've seen one thing I've seen that's successful is, is office hours where you can actually as a, as a existing customer. So it's not an opportunity to, you know, maybe it is, maybe it turns into an opportunity to sell, but um, you're an existing customer with an account and now you've got, you know, some, especially if the high, some high profile folks within, you know, every organization, um, now you've got a face-to-face opportunity to spend with them. 
And, um, and so I've seen office hours be really super successful and being able to just do a, you know, simple account review, 15 minutes. And, you know, you sign up ahead of time, you come at this time and, uh, and, and do that account review. Um, it's not so much about the stuff that you give away and the things to remember about ISTE, um, is, well, the thing to remember about any conference is know your audience. Who is going to be there? Um, you know, if ISTE pull, ISTE pulls a lot of teachers, but it also pulls a lot of technology directors. It pulls a lot of folks from other parts of the district org that we don't normally may not get to talk to at kind of an ed techy way or ASCD. Well, ASCD used to be all you know, curriculum directors and, um, and, and CI and, and chief and uh, chief instructional officers. Well, now it's kind of shifted into teachers. And so how can you position what you're doing as a vendor to, to reach that audience? So it's understanding who is going to be there. Um, it's not so much about the, the little toys and things that you bring. Yeah, those are fun. I, we all are picking them up for our kids or putting them in our classroom. But really, how can you make a personal connection with that person who stops in the booth to ask a question um, to, to, to see what you're doing? Now, this happened to me at FETC. I stopped at a booth because I saw somebody doing something really super interesting. Um, and I stayed, I ended up staying there for 90 minutes having a conversation, getting a demo, talking to them. And, and you know, I have been talking to them ever since. Um, because there was, you know, it was something that I was interested in. But, you know, there are, you know, dozens and hundreds of other vendors there that, you know, I, I always do a lap. I always walk through the vendor floor. Um, I do it one day and then I'll wait a day and then I go another day. And, you know, the ones that really stick out to me are the ones where I can make a personal connection or I, I can make a personal connection to, um, to someone who's there, not somebody who just, you know, comes and stands in front of me to say, hey, do you want to know about, you know, cloud hosting? No, don't have any interest. Yeah, but did you know, like, I'm not, I don't need it. Like, please leave me alone. Like that kind of in your face kind of stuff is really, it's just off-putting. Um, in my opinion, but some people it, it works, but um, it's it, to me, it's ultimately making a personal connection with the, the people who, who stop by. It's interesting because as I, my team's in organic social media all the time, and what we try to talk about is we want brand awareness, but you only want brand awareness with the right people. <laughs> to do that, you have to have, you start to create value, what you said with that thought leadership. And I was just snapping silently like, yes, we do need more thought leadership in education. And we don't need to treat thought leadership as an ends to a means of a sale. We do it because we're passionate about it. And this is what drove us to create the company in the beginning. And I'm not saying that all are like that, but I want to reframe it. And I want to inspire you that all that are listening about, you know, think about if you are working for an ed tech or if you're an educator that maybe are is an ambassador or a certified, whatever, um, ask them, what are you doing? Can you create more content for us? We're happy to give you some thoughts around what content might be valuable. But there's so many things that EdTech can do, but it starts with being genuine, being authentic and showing up. And sure, within a booth, I don't want you at a booth that's just like no effort and you can't see a demo and there's two people just, you know, and it's kind of a little sad trombone. But you you do want a little tchotchkes. You do want some of these things, right? But I love the office hours. I think that that is genius. And you don't need to have a lot of people come to it because so many people buy tech, but they don't have the time to actually implement it. And oh my gosh, I get to talk to an expert and they can help me. So those are all really great. I think 
The one stakeholder we haven't really talked about is the education admin. And, you know, they're not a dominant force at ISTE, but they are at other conferences too. But I do know ed techs are searching them out. <laughs> so ed tech companies are trying to search out those decision makers, right? People that either are influencers of buyer of buying the product or actually sign the dotted line on the contract. So I guess maybe a twofold question. If you, as you came to the conference as an admin, how do you navigate it without being bombarded? And then from the ed tech perspective, how do they find you in a not creepy way and engage you? Yeah. So, so those are, those are great questions. So um, from my, my perspective was I was a decision maker. So I controlled the budget. I signed on the dotted line. Like you had to sell to me and convince me that this was, you know, gonna, it was going to work in my district. The, the thing I think to remember and the thing that, that I always went into it was I was not going to make a decision based on a conversation I had on the vendor floor. Um, I might, it might help start a conversation. It might help it might help me come to a clearer conclusion, but it's not going, I'm not, I'm not going to sign a contract on the vendor floor. And I think many of my colleagues would feel the same way um, that we, I always approached it. I always approached the vendor floor in, in two paths. One was I wanted to go talk to the people who I already had a pre-existing relationship with. So the vendors that we were already doing business with, whether it was, you know, websites or, you know, hardware or whatever it was, I was going to go talk to them because I wanted to see if there was anything new. Yeah, we, we had regular meetings and we talked all the time and they pro we probably talked beforehand and they asked me, hey, are you going to be at ISTE? Yeah, I'm going to be there. Oh, well, stop by the booth. We're going to be doing this. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stop by whether you called me or you emailed me or not because I want to see what you're doing because we already do business together. And, but that doesn't mean that's not an excuse just to ignore, you know, to leave me alone. Like if we do business together, I should, I should be talking to you a lot. But um, on the other hand, I always wanted to look at what was, what was new. And so I always took a step back and see and looked and saw where were a lot of people going. And I know that that cannot be a good indication of the, you know, what, what a product is or, you know, the viability of a product, but in general, especially in the, in the, the ed tech, especially at the ISTE floor, there will be a lot of people around certain types of vendors or certain vendors themselves. Um, and if I was, if I saw a large group of people around someone, I didn't know who they were or had never heard of them before. Um, I, I, I would at least go and stand and check it out and see what was going. And if it was something that I was interested in or something I thought our district was, um, you know, then I would stand and I would listen to a pitch. Um, I don't have, I probably didn't have 30 minutes to stand and listen to a pitch. So I need the elevator. I need the 5,000 foot view so that I can quickly decide in my mind, yep, this is something I want to pursue, or this isn't something I want. And then I'll make time for the things that, um, that I want to, to listen to. Um, but I always went into that floor with the, with the knowledge of this is, you know, what was our technology plan? Where were we going? What was my soup interested in? What did, what were we struggling with as a district? I always had those floating around in the back of my mind so that I knew if I saw something that could fit, fill a need or fill a gap, I made time to go there. I made time to stop and talk. Um, but I think one of the things uh, at a lot of conferences that are doing now, I know FETC and ISTE do this, is they have like the they have like the startup kind of the startup area, or they have that um, you know those those brand new 
um, vendor areas, and those don't get enough love. They don't get enough people coming by because you think, oh, startup, you know, it's brand new. What do they know? How, you know, they haven't been around. Um, and they just have, they might have have like a little kiosk where they have, because they're just starting out. They don't have, you know, a, a, a a $50,000 booth or a $100,000 booth, or, or I know I know of one ed tech company that has spent half a million dollars on a booth to to try and pull people in that they already have name recognition because they think if it looks big, that means that they are doing really well. That is, uh, to me, it's money, it's money. Something that big is money wasted, but the, the startup has, you know, just a, maybe a little table and just the founder there. Where, where else are you going to be able to go to a conference and talk to a, the person who created this product that is trying to fill a need, that's trying to get their business off the ground? That could be really super cool or could could really potentially change the game. And so I love the fact that many of these conferences are starting to add those. I wish more of them would do it in a would do it in a way that kind of put a lot bigger spotlight on the, the startups and uh, and look at. Um, and, and, and kind of bring them up to the top because I, I don't, I don't think they get enough love. Um, but I, you know, now, even as someone who's just not directly involved with a school district, I advise decision makers. And so those are, those are kind of the paths that I take. I look at my clients and I say, okay, who, you know, who needs what and what can I go, who can I go talk to? I've got tons of friends in the industry I go talk to, but I will spend a lot of time looking at startups and looking and seeing kind of where, where, what is, because that to me tells me trends. What if you're if you're going out there and you're putting money in and you're looking for investors and you're trying to create this thing that you I would think are really passionate about, maybe it's filling a need that we just haven't recognized yet that you had the forethought and the um, the vision to kind of to kind of see. And so I'm going to spend some time um, down there because they they definitely don't get enough love and they they should. Yes, yes. And I love that you mentioned them because it is what Steven said. You literally go around and they're in these small little booths, but every single one is, is man with like a founder and you get to talk to them about their why and their passion. And it's so exciting for me. Plus, they are yearning for educator feedback too. That's why they're there. They're here to listen to educators and then also entrepreneurs. They can say, Hey, you know, I tried this, but it failed. And right now those seed startups. So, you know, the, the younger startups, they need help more than ever in ed tech. Um, you all can listen to Sandro's talk. We'll put it in the show notes, but Sandro comes from the world of ed tech accelerators and talked about how the pandemic really squashed a lot of the, the baby startups. And we saw a lot of merging big companies, swallowing up other companies and just acquisitions here and there. So really good to give love to those people. Um, one other side I want to mention is, or I want to ask you specifically, Stephen, is when you are an administrator, from an ed tech perspective, how do they, beyond being a customer, because so many of them come to me and say, you know, I only want to talk to buyers. How do I get to them at conferences? Um, certainly they have email and they have existing clients and prospects that they should be inviting. But how do they attract them beyond the general traditional ways? Have you seen people try to attract you when you were the decision maker that was like dinners or gosh, I don't know what they do to learn. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I've been to, I can't tell you how many meals I've eaten in a day to, because, uh, because people invited me to places or, or had to just turn down. Uh, because there were so many, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think that I think 
it goes back to, you know, what I said before about personal connection. Like, I, you know, the, the reality is that vendors buy the, the list of the attendees and they look for certain titles. So they're looking for specific titles and then they send them a mass email. And I got, I, even to this day, still get tons of those just as a, just as a regular attendee and, you know, Oh, come to this booth or come see this. And, you know, you have to check off that box now when you register, like, do you want to get um, things in the mail? Please don't send me anything in the mail. Please just send it to my email. But, um, but the, the, the thing I think where I, I actually um, had not heard of a particular vendor um, this was this was many years ago. I had not heard of a particular vendor before, and they personally reached out to me. Now, if it had been automated, it felt personal. Um, they, you know, they knew they knew about me. They knew who I was. They knew about my district. They knew what we were doing, and they invited me to um, to a dinner that um, was just me. And I'm I'm not saying that you have to you, you know you, you have to spend all this money on just trying to woo these one people, but. If you've got, um, you know, particular district in mind or targets in mind, um, I would I would look at them specifically and personally. Um, those mm-hmm. the, whenever somebody messaged me or somebody called me or they emailed and they knew that we were we were launching this initiative because they had read about it on our website or they had seen it in the paper or they had seen the TV you know article about it. They knew what we were doing. They'd read board minutes or whatever it was. Because you know we were we were the we were the third largest district in the state, so we are obviously we're we're very attractive, you know, from a, from a bottom line standpoint. But we are also very innovative in what we were doing, and we wanted to be the best. And so they, you know, those ones that reached out to us personally, those were the ones that I gave my time to. If I'm, you know, if I'm interested in something, and I'm, you know, you invite me to a dinner, and there's, you know, a couple other people there. That's yeah, that's cool. I, you know, I love meeting people, and especially if they're people I know, which I probably do, then you know, it's an opportunity to hang out. But the it's the pers- it's to me, it's the personal connection. It's either getting invited by my account manager, hey, we're gonna go do this thing, and um, and we want you to come. And it doesn't always have to be dinner. I, I even from the vendor side, I've taken people to I've taken people to water parks. I've taken people to paintball. I mean, we've done activities. Um, to, to do that, not just about dinner and drinks, it's sometimes it's just providing an experience that we might be the only ones who thought of or could be able to provide. So um, I think it, it, but it was personal. It was, it was, we, we had a personal connection um, to what we were trying to do, whether it was, whether I was a prospect or, you know, I was already a, a sale and, you know, we're trying to do a little bit more. Yeah. And from EdTech perspective, I work with a lot of EdTech companies, and a lot of the times it's interesting to see each company try to gauge ROI for each each event, right? They're like, is it worth it? So what's the return on investment? Because it is a lot now that we're coming back to in-person. I've got to fly. I've got hotels. Mm-hmm. I've got parties. I've got the booth. I've got all of these things, right? So what actually came out of it. So you can come and approach conferences from the brand awareness perspective, that big reach, the big net. Okay, we reached this many, we got this many leads. But what I'm hearing from you is go smaller and go more focused and go more intentional. And if you have one great conversation and take out um, the heads of LA Unified School District and say, and then you get a sale as a result of that, would you rather have that or a big plethora of leads that you're really not sure if half of them are in your target market and they really just wanted to sign up to get the bear that you're giving out. So I I think it's 
it's a personal decision for each company, but they have to really weigh their approach and balance those two. You certainly want to get more prospects in. You want to make sure that they're right prospects. But I am on the camp with you. Personal, deep relationships will win everything else. And if that person that you have that personal, deep relationship with that went to a water park with you, sometimes more often than not, they switch to another company. They switch to another district. So those relationships last forever. And I thank you for bringing that approach to conferences because sometimes it's just more, more, more. I need to do this, that. And then we all burn out and what even happened. And it takes us three weeks to even follow up with people. Right. <laughs> it's so true. It, it's so true. And you, it, what, what you said was, is, is, is dead on. Like, would you rather have a thousand scans for leads and only like four of them are viable or would you rather have this personal relationship with the decision maker that you had this opportunity? And, and, and again, I, I, you know, I'm talking about extreme examples. Like you don't have to take everybody to the water park or to paintball or, you know, to a, to a hundred dollar plate dinner and, and drop a lot of coin on, on all of that. But I, you know, vendors ask me all the time, ask me that question all the time. And I, excuse me, I, I would always say, the vendors that I continue to do business with were the ones where I felt like I was the only thing that was keeping them in business. I was the only client that they had. And I, I switched vendors for a particular product because they never called. They never talked to me. I only got the marketing emails. And then when it came time for renewal, they just sent me the renewal bill thinking without ever talking to me saying, oh, well, they're just going to renew because they've been with us forever. Just because I've been with you forever doesn't mean that I that I don't have the opportunity or the means to change. Um, they think because, you know, I've got 10,000 teachers. Oh, you don't want to retrain everybody. I'll retrain everybody if it's going if I'm going to have a better relationship. Um, and so the ones that the my my account manager or my rep said to me, like, I felt like every time I talked to them, I was the only thing. Um, even though I know they might have a hundred accounts or a thousand accounts or whatever it is, um, those were the those were the ones that I did business with and the ones that I expanded my business with. Um, and the same thing applies to a conference. And and I know it, that's where you're exactly right. You have to you have to weigh what what is it that you're trying to do. So that's why hopefully at this point, if you've decided to go to ISTE as a vendor, you've already had the conversation of. What are, why are we going? And to me, it's always about the why. Why or what, what is our, what is the one thing we need to get out of this conference? Is it we need to make these connections with these people? Is it we're doing brand awareness? Is it we want to launch this thing and have everybody be excited about the launch? What is it that we're doing? And then use that as the driver. Love that. So focus. I'm feeling like a little bit karate kid. Focus, Daniel son. <laughs> um, I know we could talk about conferences forever. I hope to see you at ISTE. Will you be there this year? You will uh, see me at ISTE. And then just a, one thing that I do from a vendor perspective, and I, I don't call consider myself a vendor, but I work with ed techs. Um, I have just a fun informal party and that's what I do. And I take out some clients here and there, but it's really about the relationship and our parties are very small that we can have those long conversations. We can have those relationships and we invite some of our educator friends. So, um, I think it really depends on all the things you talked about. So I really, really appreciate your advice from the educator perspective. I hope educators that are listening walked away with, all right, I, I think I can navigate ISTE in other conferences. Because if you can navigate ISTE, you can navigate them all. It's the biggest one I've ever been to. 
And from the admin perspective too, think about what you want to get out of it. How do you want to make the most of it and focus and Stephen gave a lot of tips from the ed tech perspective, being very intentional about what you want to do and how do we create those relationships that can last a long time. So Stephen, the last question I'm going to ask you, we ask all of our guests, is it's about inspiration, especially inspiration in this time of we are, a lot of us are virtual. A lot of us are trying to figure out this new kind of, this new normal still. And there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of burnout in education, so much so that teachers are leaving. Um, they're calling it the great exodus. All of these things in ed tech, we're burning out. Everyone is burning out in every industry. How do you specifically get inspired? Are there things you read? Are there people you connect with? Or do you go out for a jog? <laughs> like what keeps you going in the world of Steven and you're doing so much? Yeah. Uh, I definitely don't jog, um, but I probably should, I probably should start. Um, I, man, the pandemic would have been perfect for that. No, I, I the, the, what I, what I do to stay inspired is I unplug, like I literally unplug and um, I, my daughter, my daughter just turned 13 and she, she went on an, uh, a two night overnight camp with her school. And so they, she couldn't use her phone. I promise this has a point. And so when I picked her up after three days of not having her phone and it, she's like every other kid, she's got text messages, discords and TikToks and all this thing. I said, how was it for three days without your phone? And she's like, it was amazing. Like she said, my friends and I actually looked at each other and talked to each other. And now we have all these ideas of these things that we want to do together. And I said, it's amazing what happens when you unplug. And, you know, unplugging doesn't, doesn't maybe not fix the problem, but it, it at least gives us an opportunity to take a breath because I think we, for so long, I was for so long, um, you know, plugged into Twitter and social media and doing everything. And, the pandemic hit and I was just like, I didn't have the energy. Um, and, you know, people will notice, I've, I've, people have tweeted to me, it was like, hey, you don't tweet as much as you used to. And I don't, I, I tweet things that are thoughtful or that I, you know, that I'm thinking or that I think are just wonderful to share, but I don't have this anxiety around being plugged in. And I have been preaching that for years. Like you don't have to be constantly plugged in to social media or even to ed tech to, to, to feel like you're a part of it. So. I continue to find inspiration in just getting away from it and with my kids and even with my, even with my daughters, I, we went to New York city for, for their spring break and um, just talking to them. And I, you know, I got a dozen ideas for, um, for new sessions based on the things that they were telling me that were happening in their classroom just by listening to them. And I never would have, and there are things that they, I know they've told me before, but I, I just didn't have the bandwidth to be able to, to think about it. But getting away from it, um, I was able to think about it. So that's, I, that's how I continue to find inspiration. And the other thing is, is talking to, you know, folks like you and um, uh, several of my other friends that we've, you know, stayed very close together. And even just a simple text message, like my friend Adam Bello, if I get a random text message from Adam Bello, it, that just makes my day. Um, because we don't get to see each other face to face. We don't get to talk very often. But if man, he'll send me a text message. Hey, buddy, how are you doing? That just that just I, I just melt because it's just wonderful. And my friend Shaylin, you know, she'll text me and I just I just melt because, you know, it, it makes you just it's still you're still connected. But those, those are the things that I find inspiration. And that's where I can get my energy from so that when I do have to go at it full throttle, I can I can go at it full throttle. 
Yes, but another theme is intentional connections, right? And for those of you um, who might say, gosh, you know, Adam Bella's name is familiar. He was a podcast guest. So we'll put his a link to the show notes in here. But he was one of our first podcast guests and just really talked about the ins and outs of ed tech because he's also one of those wonderful people that have started as an educator and then went to the world of ed tech as a founder. Um, so thank you so much, Stephen, for spending time with us. And for those of you listening, um, please know that we appreciate you taking the time to learn alongside Stephen and I. We're learning all the time. We would love to meet all of you at ISTE. Please reach out to us. Um, Stephen, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can You can send me a, I'm web 20 classroom everywhere. So Twitter, Instagram, I think I, I think my kids even have me on TikTok. I've never posted anything because I'm not smart enough to know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can reach me out in a website, web20classroom.org, blog.web20classroom.org at web20classroom.org. Uh, you send me an email, it'll come to me. So it's, it's everywhere. Awesome. Well, thank you again, everyone. And I hope that whether you're an educator or an ed tech brand, you took at least one thing away that you can do differently. It could be something big. It could be something just small and say, gosh, you know, I really need to pause and rethink the way I approach conferences. What do I want to get out of it personally? So think about all the things. We will have show notes that highlight the major points um, and all of the resources and the additional conferences we talked about as well. You can um, access those at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 20. So 20, two, zero. And that's Leone Consulting Group with two Gs. So thank you all. And we will see you all next time on all things marketing and education. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.